Well, we've been doing stories recently. Stories with Spirit. And tonight on Stories with Spirit. No, I'm just kidding. It's going to be Jacob to Israel. And there's a, there's a lot on Jacob's life. I felt led to, to do the, his story. And I've been praying over it and, and reading it and trying to just get from God what. Because I, I don't have enough time to go through all of Jacob. That is a lot. But basically, I laid on my heart that I should focus on the exchanges between him and Jacob. And how that turned Jacob to Israel. And the nation that came out of that. And there's three main, main scriptures, chapters in Genesis. If you all want to go to Genesis, hint, hint. Genesis 28, Genesis 32, and Genesis 35. And they give you some of the backstory that just goes in between those different, different portions between his birth to the dream. It's really, if anybody knows what, what the name of Jacob means. It means trickster or to deceive. And it comes from when he was born. He had a twin named Esau. And he came out holding, the, holding his brother's heel. And it's an idiom in Jewish culture that means to deceive. And some have translated it as trickster also. And so that was his name. That was what he was called when he was born. And Well, he kind of lived up to it throughout the rest of his life until God changed his name. Now, he's the third that had received a promise from God, a promise to be a father of Israel, of a great nation, and a company of nations. And that, that promise is first given to him at Jacob's dream. So Jacob, you know, he was born, and then to prove he was a trickster, he stole his brother's birthright, basically his inheritance, through a bowl of soup because his brother was dying of starvation basically and then he tricked his dad into giving him his brother's blessing so it was pretty tricky very tricky and it's kind of what we all have we're born with is that just that nature that just the propensity to deceive the propensity to be in this fallen world and fallen ourselves. But Jacob's dream happens when he leaves home, when he's sent away, actually to go find a wife because his mama didn't like the girls around town, more or less. That's what happened. And he was on his way, and he laid his head down on a rock that he gathered. And this is uh, Genesis chapter 28, it's verses 10 through 22. And he didn't, the Bible didn't find it necessary to name the place at that time. He just said, just says, a certain place. Then Jacob departed from Bathsheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there. Because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head. And lay down in that place, he had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. 
And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So God makes that awesome promise. But it's probably a promise he's heard before because his father got the same promise and his grandfather as well. And then it says, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Man, how many times have we had just this amazing encounter of God or, or seen a vision or he's revealed some something about himself, a truth that has just rocked our entire lives. And we've said, surely God is in this place. Surely he's here for me. Surely he loves me. And that's what happened to Jacob. And then the next morning, so Jacob rose early in the morning, this is verse 18, and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. He called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God had, will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone, which I have set up as a pillar, will be God's house, and all of that you give me. I will surely give a tenth to you. So I had this great encounter with God, and then he went to sleep. Woke up the next morning and said, yeah, I need to remember this. And he wrote it down in his journal, a.k.a. he put a stone up. You know, it's a little bit different back in the day, how they remembered things. He made that, that altar, that pillar to remember. But here's the crazy part. He saw God looking down. He saw the ladder. He saw the angels. And he got a promise from God that enough to create a nation. And his response starts out with one word, if. He got a promise from God that says, God said, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And Jacob says, wow, if you do this, 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 and this, then you'll be my God. It's a big difference between the first one. The first promise given to, to Abraham, he believed it. And it was counted to him as righteousness because of his faith. Jacob had a little different approach. And honestly, I think this is a lot more us than Abraham is. So many times we say, wow, God, that's amazing. And then we say, keep on going. And we're just like, well, if this, this, and this, then, you'll, then I'll, I'll listen. Then I'll do it. Then I'll follow your promise. And it just kind of peters off there. There's not a whole lot more of content between him and God. He, he goes and he meets his um, relative Laban, who is also a trickster, and they trick each other back and forth. And, but God's favor on Jacob causes him to come out of the place with 
two companies worth of animals and family. He had two wives, 12 sons. There's a whole lot more in there. I urge you guys to read it. But I still feel glad that this story is about the, the interaction between him and God. And what comes up next, his brother Esau, he's heading back into the land of his father, the land that God had promised to take him back to, and he'd set the condition, if God, you bring me back safely to this land, then you'll be my God. And now he's coming upon the land, and uh, I sure don't think you would count it as faith because he's so scared to death of his brother Esau, which is in the land, because he sends a servant out to look and servant comes back and you know he's got all these men and Jacob was so scared that he was going to be taken out and his brother was going to come and and kill him that he split his group apart into two companies and sent them out and he started sending these like one servant with a bunch of animals like in waves trying to appease his brother I mean, and I'd be scared, too, if I stole this guy's inheritance and then stole the blessing of his father on him as well. He had every right to be scared. He really did. Except for the fact that he had God's promise. And he wasn't counting on that. And it wasn't until this point that he cried out to God. God had sent him back, but he'd never cried out to God. The only thing he'd said back to God is, if If you do this, this, and this, God, then I'll be yours. And this is in Genesis chapter 32. Go to verses 9 through 12. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham. I guess I should give you guys a minute to get there. While you're doing that, um, you know, the real core of this is Jacob put the ifs because he didn't really believe that God was the answer. If he believed that God was the answer, there would have been no ifs. And Sunday nights are prayer nights when we come together to pray. And I've had people ask me, like, how do you pray or why do you pray? How does it work? Really? It's second nature if you believe that God is the answer. If you don't believe God's the answer... You're not going to pray. But if you believe that God has the answer, you're going to be on your knees automatically. It's second nature. If you know there's a solution, you're going to go to it. It's really simple. So if you guys are there, I'm going to start reading chapter 32, verse 9. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. I'm unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan. And now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. Man. That's a that's a tune there. How many times? That's exactly the way it is with us. He's going through life, and you know, you have this awesome encounter of God, and that okay, God, if this, this, and this, and then life just resumed like normal. And so he carried on, and it wasn't until he came to this big old problem that he couldn't solve that he said, "Oh yeah, 
God made a promise to me. I'm going to carry it out. Now, he was trying to follow God. That's why he started heading back to the land. But it wasn't until he ran into trouble. And it's funny because he'd set the, if you return me to my land safely, you'll be my God. But he tries, cries out, oh God of my father, who said to me, he recognized him as his God before he's safely in the land because he needed God. He realized there was no other way that God was the answer. And it's at this point that after he sends everybody else over the river except for himself, that Jacob wrestles with God. And this is the part that really caught my heart because to wrestle with God, how many times do we do that? Do we just read the Bible and just be like, okay, yeah. But it's not until we really wrestle with it that something changes in us. It's not until we really encounter God in such a way where, okay, God, I've got this problem and I don't understand. I don't know how to do this. Help me. And we wrestle back and forth. God God starts revealing something and we just wrestle back and it's that match that continues on until something changes. And that's in Genesis chapter 32, verses 24 through 32. This is where Jacob wrestles with God. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, Okay, Jacob's always looking for something. He's always trying to get something out of it. He stole his brother's birthright, his blessing, he took the flocks from two daughters and the flocks of Leban. Of, and now he's wrestling with God and won't let God go until he asks for a blessing. And verse 27. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Peniel. And he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh and the sinew of the hip. You know, it wasn't until Jacob decided to wrestle with God. It wasn't until Jacob saw God as the answer, but he walked out of there with a new walk and a new identity. The blessing was his father's. The promise was his father's until he called out to God as God being the answer. And it wasn't until then that he was able to wrestle with God. And when he wrestled with God, he got his own blessing. That's one of the scariest things about this nation, about this country, about Christianity. Historically, through the Bible, you can see it repeatedly over and over and over again. Are we trying to live on the promises of God to our fathers and our mothers and not getting our own blessing? Why aren't we willing to wrestle with God ourselves? Is he not 
the answer. Desperate for him, like in the song. If we're so very desperate for God, we'd have to see him as the answer. We're desperate. So many of us have been desperate all the time. When is our desperation going to turn us to him, though? When is he going to be the answer? It's not a bad thing to wrestle with God. Yes, God is holy, but God also loves us. And if we're not willing to encounter him, how can we expect any blessings from him? But even then, I, was, I thought that would be it. I was confused and I looked on and the story of Jacob becoming Israel really doesn't conclude until Genesis chapter 35. See, Israel means basically to strive with God. And it's here that it changes. Jacob starts out back in the beginning of the, when he was that trickster. And God meets him. And he has that encounter with God. And he says, okay, wow, this rocked my world. I never even thought about this. God, if you do this, this, and this, I'll be yours. And then trouble came, and he said, okay, God, I need you now. I can't wait for my ifs. I'm going to take your promise over my ifs because my ifs were never good enough. Your promise is what I need. And then he wrestles with God. And out of it, he's changed man with physical evidence on the outside. But the Bible doesn't call him Israel at any point after that until 35. And I wondered why. Why is he still Jacob after God just said that he was going to be Israel? And so that's something I had to look into. I had to pray and figure it out. And then I realized we do the same thing. We'll wrestle with God and we'll have an encounter and something will change in us. But our whole identity doesn't necessarily change. I said, okay, God. When does this happen? So if you'll change, turn with me to the beginning of chapter 35. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and live there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods which are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your garments, and let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods which they had and the rings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was near Shechem. As they journeyed, there was a great terror upon the cities which were around them. And they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him. He built an altar there and called the place El Bethel because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel under the oak. It was named Alan Bakuth. And here's the part where Jacob is named Israel. It starts in verse 9. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram, and he blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Thus he called him Israel. God also said to him, 
I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come forth from you. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give it to you, and I will give the land to your descendants after you. And it's after this that you start seeing in the written scripture that he's called Israel. No longer is it only Jacob. He starts being called Israel in the word of God. Not just being said, your name will be Israel. See, God revealed the promise he had for him when he wrestled with him. If you're running out of hope, we wrestle with God to find the answer. And he said, here's your hope. You will be called Israel. But it wasn't until he went to his house and he put off the idols and the garments that didn't glorify God, buried them behind and left them and went back to the house of God, went to the altar of God and renewed himself there that his name became Israel to strive with God. That's powerful. If this isn't our prayer life right here, and make no mistake, it hasn't ended there. There's more to come. He's no he's called Israel in the scriptures after this, but he's not just called Israel, he's still called Jacob at times. And I'm like, okay, if his name's Israel now, why isn't why isn't it only Israel? Why is he still called Jacob? And then God revealed to me <laughs> Jacob was the trickster the nature that we have before we encounter God, before we receive his promise and we wrestle with him for our hope. And then after we're fulfilled and we give everything over to him and we choose him and God is our Lord, he is our God. As long as we're still on this earth, we have that dual nature. The Bible calls it flesh and spirit. In Jacob, it was... He was a deceiver, a, str- a trickster, or he was striving with God. And he goes back and forth through the rest of it. But he is called Israel. He might still have Jacob in him, but God decided to name him and give him the identity of Israel. And what we need for ourselves if you've already encountered God, if he's come and he's shown himself to you, then he's given you a promise. And if you don't know what the promise is, it's right here. There's lots of it in here, actually. And if you don't know how it's your hope or how it applies to you or how it will change your life and change your identity and your walk in this world, then are you really viewing God as the answer? Do you recognize him as what's going to solve it? Are we really desperate for him? Is he really the king of kings? Do we really believe that he died on the cross and he stole the keys of death, hell, and the grave? Is that not God? Is he not the answer? Do we not believe in him? I've seen the, the signs up, you know, First Chronicles 7.14, if my people shall humble themselves and pray. We're not praying because we don't believe God. 
we've got a problem deeper than prayer. It comes at the very core. Do we think God is the answer to this nation? If we did, we'd already be praying. Do we think God is the answer to fallen humanity? Forget the nation. It goes deeper than that. It's not about America. It's about us and our hearts. And I pray that we don't have to see all the trouble before we realize that God is the answer and he's the only way. Because his promise was there since the beginning. And we can be like Abraham and choose to believe it straight out. But here at the end, and this is what prayer is all about, is do we believe God? That's it. Do we believe God? If we do, then our names are changed. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. Our identity is completely different. It's the identity of Christ in us. It's who we become. And as the worship team comes back up, I wasn't going to talk about the altar really, but he made repeated altars of remembering. And... God's telling me that it was when he came back to Bethel, which the name of Bethel is God's house. He came back to God's house and he went to the altar in God's house. After leaving everything else behind and and chose God in full obedience to what he was telling him. And his, he had a new identity and a new walk at that point. He was told he'd have a new identity, new walk when he wrestled, but he had the new identity and the new walk when he chose God in the altar of his house. And there are so many things that this this congregation, this town has been suffering with. If we don't think God's the answer for our illness, for our sickness and our disease, if we don't think he's powerful enough to handle it, then we won't pray. And this night is pointless. If we don't believe that God has the strength to get us through the hard times. Then there's no point in praying because we won't have any faith behind our prayers. And honestly, the nights of prayer will explode when we put our faith in God and our trust in him and we come before him in the altar. And the altar is not these steps down here. The altar is the place where you meet with God and you choose to leave everything else behind. And you say, God, you're my answer, even if I don't know what the question is. Depression, anxiety, hopelessness, even suicide. We get to these places and we don't even know why. God knows why, and he is the answer. You don't have to know the question if you have the answer. Do we believe that God is the answer or not? Is he the king of kings and the Lord of lords or not? Are his promises in that book true or not? Are we willing to wrestle with him to receive the answer?
And are we willing to leave everything else behind to see him in the altar? I've heard so many altar calls that just end with, if you want God more, come down to the altar. And half the church stays in the pews. I'm not just talking about here. I'm talking about many places throughout my whole life. And eventually, I just started asking myself, does that mean half the church doesn't want more of God? What does that say about us? Is the altar a place where we can look to see and receive more of God? Or is the altar something we look to see if we can stay out of? Does that directly apply to me or not? It's God. It applies to you. He's the answer. It doesn't matter if the sermon or the preaching or the story was directly pinpointed, pricked you right in the heart and got you moved. What matters is do you have a need? Do you have a problem? Do you have a question? Then the altar's for you. It's as simple as that. And right now, let's go to the altar. This is our chance. This is what those nights are all about. This whole building, this whole room is an altar. Find it in your heart because that's what God looks at anyways. So let's stand or sit, move along, walk, talk. It doesn't matter. We're meeting with God, not with man right now. Leave everything else behind. Bury it under a tree if you have to. And meet God in the altar.